Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Leadership on Mission podcast, a discussion on leadership and the mission of God from a biblical worldview. And on today's episode, we are joined by my friend Luke Hughes. Luke is the adult discipleship pastor at Midway Church here in the West Metro Atlanta area. He's also the author of the book, Just Keep Breathing, Finding God's Best in the Brokenness. Luke, what's up, man? Glad to have you on the show. Hey, Chad. It's good to be here, man. So I got to dive right into this book. Uh, I read it uh, about a month ago. Loved it. The book came out last year. Am I right? Yeah, it came out about September. Okay. So now in the book, you you talk a lot uh, about your life and you, you share your testimony and really, uh, if you're going to understand the book and what it's about, you, you need to kind of know some of that um, based on the way the rest of the book unfolds. But uh, so throughout the book, uh, you, you share a little bit of that. But I, if you would, I mean, share with our, our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what led you to write Just Keep Breathing. Yeah. So um, my name's Luke, and I'm a pastor here in the West Georgia area, and um the main idea of the book, Just Keep Breathing, is dealing with a lot of the depth and the brokenness and hurts that we experience as human beings uh, in times of suffering or in times of, of, uh, of uh, hardship. You know, I'm sure nobody can relate or resonate with that. No way. You know, just coming out of 2020. No, no. But, Everything's good. Yeah, you know, we're all, we're all fine. It, Everything's all fine. fine. I'm just thinking about the meme. This yep. is fine. Yeah, the house burns down. <laughs> yeah. um, and so the the reason I paired it in this book with my story is because I think a lot of times in my life, there have been moments of brokenness or there have been moments of hardship that um, you would say, I think stereotypically in the sense of like religious circles or um, religious understanding, wow, that really stinks that that happened to this guy. How, you know, or in a sense like, how could God's hand be in something like that or, sure. or what could be going on in the providence of God to, to have this thing happen? Um, and so really uh, the best place to start is kind of at the beginning. I was diagnosed with uh, cystic fibrosis, excuse me, cystic fibrosis at uh, nine months old. And, and from there, uh, my parents, you know, took care of me, raised me. And my teenage years, I was diagnosed with diabetes and then uh, later on, I had cirrhosis of the liver. And, you know, I just had a veritable smorgasbord of uh, health problems that came along through the process right. of my life. And so in that process, um, the, the, the growth in the faith that I developed uh, through God being faithful, even in those moments, is kind of what's highlighted in the book and hopefully helps people wrestle with um, the reality and the three dimensions of suffering, of faith, and of life. Uh, because sometimes I think we, in the effort to simplify, flatten all of those dimensions of suffering and start answering with religious tropes or cliches. Yeah. And really uh, unpacking that, I think, is the beauty of uh, a life lived in faith. And I think the scriptures support that. And there's lots of uh, scriptural examples as well as personal examples in the book. Yeah, there are, there are, and you mentioned uh, a little bit about some of your your health issues and some of that. Uh, that's a big part of your story and a big part of 
the brokenness that you talk about and, and that you kind of lead from, uh, and uh, you, you make that clear in the book. How did you come to the conclusion, like, I, I want to write about this. Like, I want to I want to chronicle this. I want people to hear this story. Like, what? when was the moment you were like, this is what I, I need to do? Yeah. So um, what's interesting is this actually isn't the first book that I wanted to write. It is the first book I wrote, but it's not the first book I wanted to write. I wanted to actually write a book, being a pastor, on uh, the, the uh, advantages of group perspective on sharing your faith in evangelism. So I wanted to write a pretty uh, leadership-centric, you know, Leadership on Mission podcast. Sure. Um, Thanks for the plug. Book. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about free plugs, bro. Um, and and kind of like detail that in the sense of uh, what that, how that can be super effective when a group of people start to evangelize even more than just one individual. Mm. Um, and so I went to begin to write that book. And when I sat down to write that book, I realized that there was no way I was ever going to finish that book, at least not at that season of my life. Like I was like, I don't know how to write this. Mm. So I said, okay, I need to take a few steps back, you know, and this is part of the journey and part of the process. Um, What could I write that I would enjoy, but also uh, would move people forward in a journey and a conversation of faith. And so I settled on um, this part of my personal story and also connecting it to, I think, uh, like I said, a lot of misnomers or misunderstandings about what the Bible actually says about dealing with suffering in your life. And so, you know, that's, and that's why, like you just said, the book starts out with two very simple questions and perspectives in those first two chapters, which is we look around the world and we see that everything is broken. Why is that? And, but then just as quickly as we look around the world and we give ourselves excuse, we look to the inside of us and we realize in a lot of ways that same brokenness is all throughout the different areas and spectrums of our life. Yeah. One of, one of the major themes in the book uh, is brokenness. Like as you mentioned specifically how we deal with our brokenness. And I I found that particularly helpful uh, as a leader uh, embracing my my own brokenness. And um, one particular quote from the book that struck me is uh, you write, if God is all that he says he is, then the struggle can produce for us something unique and precious. The pain and the brokenness makes us different, better people who are closer and more in tune with what God wants and with what God desires. So in light of that, like how does embracing our brokenness and God's work in it change us as leaders? Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, uh, our brokenness is the area in which we begin to see things clearly. So typically I think we kind of delude ourselves when things are going well. And so when things are going well in our life, it's because we're pretty awesome people. Mm. You know what I mean? I look around and the reason I have a little extra money is because I'm responsible enough to save it. Or I was savvy, savvy enough to invest in GameStop. You know what I mean? Whatever, <laughs> the, uh, whatever the, I may have dated this, oh. podcast. I don't know if this date specific or not. Um, yeah. But, We're not endorsing at this point. Any, uh, any Reddit stock buying, that's right. that's right. <laughs> you know, Leroy Jenkins, the stock market, I'm sure it'll Just work. Saying. Um, says Pastor Hughes. Um, but anyway, so, uh, 
you know, and, and so what happens is in the good times in our life, we uh, assume that it's because we're pretty awesome people. Uh, and then when we get to the broken areas of our life, uh, it's amazing how the excuses begin to come out uh, for what's going on. But what really happens, I think, in the broken wilderness areas of our life is for the first time uh, in a long time, we actually experience need and we can't dismiss it mm, because yeah. it becomes a more and more desperate. And so the reason uh, I think God is moves in those moments, it's actually, it actually isn't the case that God only moves in the desperate moments. God is just as willing to move in the great moments. The problem is we're much less likely to be like, oh, yeah, God, this is all you. We just tend to close the doors and be like, no, 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 God, just stay in the closet. You know what I mean? Like everybody right. thinks I'm doing a great job here. So let's just let me get the, get the, get the glory right now. You can come out later. But in those yeah. moments where we're broken, we're desperate, we're, uh, we're to the point where we have nowhere else to turn. Uh, God is just as faithful in those moments too. And so he picks us up and he dusts us off. And we go, man, God, you know, it's amazing that you're so willing to meet me in these moments. And I think in some ways God is saying under his breath, yeah, I mean, I would have I done it too when, you know, things were better. You just mm. are much more open to hearing from me, listening, and being teachable when you have no other choice but me. Yeah, it's interesting how, and I feel like I feel like leaders do this a lot. I know, I know I do. We create narratives that, as you said, kind of point put us in the, the center of the the, the universe uh, when things are going well, and uh, and then we create narratives. Um, really unhealthy narratives for, for the areas that we fall short in or the areas of our life that are just uniquely broken, whether it's trauma, uh, whether it's uh, health issues or, or mental illness of some kind. We, we, we have this tendency to excuse our brokenness or, or it's like a cope. It's like a broken coping mechanism for our brokenness. Um, and, and, and I think that, for leaders, that's particularly dangerous because we can often um, portray a false sense of of power and security and and whatever. But that's it's really insecurity and it's really uh, a, a form of weakness. And uh, and so I, I, w- I was I was really helped uh, as a leader thinking through uh, how my own brokenness. Uh, is is yes, it, it's it's a it's an opportunity for God to show His glory, uh, but it's also a, a liability for me in a way because I have to be very conscious of dealing with my brokenness correctly because there's a lot at stake uh, for a leader who's not doing that uh, and creating these false narratives uh, of uh, of of uh, confidence and power that they just simply don't have. Yeah, and if you want a gut check as a leader. You know, I think a lot of times, especially in honest moments of brokenness, and so what, like you kind of touched on, like um, anxiety or mm-hmm. um, maybe a betrayal or um, uh, or uh, health problems, the infirmities of yeah, life, yeah. kind of like Isaiah says. Um, you know, if you're like me, and I don't want to put this on anybody, but um, you tend to say, "God, this isn't fair. This mm-hmm. isn't fair. I serve you, especially if you're a leader in the church. You're saying yeah. I, I sacrifice for you, and this just." isn't fair this season that you have me in, in the valley or in the wilderness or in the brokenness. But the gut check comes kind of in this. God can kind of whisper, yeah, just like it isn't fair that I bless you so much yeah. in the good times. 
Right. And that is a gut check to me right. because I'm going, Oh no, but I, I'm so successful and talented. You know I mean? That's, right. that's what the, that's where the good, to, I earn the good times, God. Right. And it's not fair when I get the bad times and the gut check for, I think a leader that sees themselves humbly and honestly is it's not fair in the good times yeah. and it's not fair in the bad times. Yeah. I think the, God is still faithful. The gospel centered leader embraces the unfairness of grace. It, there's nothing fair about grace. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and, uh, and embracing that changes the way we view everything. It changes the way uh, we view the privilege of leadership as opposed to the burden of leadership or, or, or what have you. Uh, one of the, the, the ways we know the world is broken is we have social media. Uh, which, which, which social media is a fantastic place to be right now, Chad. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I, I saw actually it was this morning. I uh, I saw a tweet. It was fantastic. I, I don't know who it was, but I, I'll, I'll uh, maybe I can put it in the show notes. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but they said uh, life is not as good as it looks on Instagram, but it's not as bad as it looks on Twitter. And I <laughs> I just thought, I was like that that's an enormous enormous wisdom here. Uh, that's, that's perfect. Uh, but, uh, you actually mention uh, social media in the book, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, because it is, it is this, uh, public, uh, mosaic that we put out, we, we portray, uh, to the world and, uh, you, you write social media reveals another spiritual need within me that seems to be out of whack. The more I pour myself into the process of trying to grow my notoriety or acclaim, the smaller and more meaningless I felt. I think people, generally speaking, I don't care if you have 50 followers on Twitter or 5,000 or 50,000, uh, whatever it is, or, or, or Facebook, whatever. I find in my conversations with people about their use of social media, particularly leaders, that the more followers they have, the more insignificant they feel weirdly enough. And they don't know why Uh, it's almost like we're, we're wanting something out of that public affirmation um, that just always falls short. It it never provides what we think it will. And we're just left more empty than we were before. And I want to, I wanted to, to talk with you a little bit about brokenness and, and how it relates to social media, particularly for leaders. What, what are some of the unique ways social media reveals brokenness in us as leaders? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, brokenness is revealed in competition, right? Cause maybe it's just me, but I get on and I scroll through and I see, you know, Based on, especially in 2020 world um, of doing church online, what is the impact of my church's social media presence versus other, you know, members of the kingdom as we're all on one team. Sure. But, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I better have a good high score, you know what I mean? Enough to, to feel uh, significant. Um, and if I don't feel significant, I definitely have a reason why the other people aren't doing a good job and they're probably, you know, giving into the, the enemy in some way as right. to make sure that, uh, I still, even though I may have less viewers, I have more righteous viewers. Right. You know I, mean? I have the true Christians. Well, we, we, we were talking about false narratives that help uh-huh. us deal with our brokenness. That would be one. Yeah. There you go. The, the only reason that they have a bigger platform is because fill in the blank. 
Yeah, you know, which I mean, you know, you'd say historically that's probably the model in the Bible, except the opposite, right? <laughs> you know, like God said, "Hey, listen, you know, prophets, I'm I'm going to tell you exactly what to say. You're going to get it just right, and literally everyone's going to hate you." you yeah, know, no, hundred percent. You have negative followers. hundred percent, and and the fact that the the single most famous human who's ever lived, whether you're a Christian or not. You, you would have to say is Jesus Christ. You, you would have to say that. Mm-hmm. And there's been no one worse at self-promotion than Jesus Christ. Yeah, for sure. Like there, there, no, no question about it. When, when, when he ascends into heaven, he has 175 followers, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. There, there we are. Yeah. And you know, ultimately he says that the leader of all has to be the servant of all. Where do you think the, the competition thing comes from? And, and I, I, I hear that and I agree with it. Is it just, I mean, because I always think about it this way. Um, I, I love John Piper. I, I, you know, grew up reading Desiring God and, and Don't Waste Your Life. And, um, so you're telling me you don't have a retirement plan of collecting seashells? Seashells? Nah. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm not saying he's right about everything, but... But oh, so you are going to collect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I live at the beach, Lord. I, I, I mean, evangelize on the beach. I, you know, I mean, there's there's people there that need Jesus, I'm sure. So, but uh, I love John Piper. John Piper uh, has I don't know fifty, sixty thousand followers on Twitter. You know what I mean? And and then some some Instagram influencer has sixty million. Like it's, it's interesting that we, that like, it's all, it seems to be, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, at least it feels for me, it's all about kind of the circle you run in and who you want respect for or from. Um, and, and so it seems to be like all comparative, like, like, like the idea of a Christian celebrity kind of cracks me up a little bit because they're not really celebrities. Like on the, they're celebrities in our little circle because we know who they are or we care about their opinion or we've read their books, but but they're really not like, like on the scale of actual celebrity, they're not really celebrities at all. So it just, where, where do you think the competition element comes from, particularly with Christian leaders? Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways it comes back to the, uh, the brokenness of, of just our pride, right. That yeah. at some level we want, like, even as pastors, you know what I mean? even as Christian leaders, we want to be on top, like the, the drive to be the greatest is something that Jesus readily addresses. You know what I mean? And the way Jesus deals with it is, I know I mentioned it earlier, but he turns it on his head, right? He says, okay, John, James, you want to be the greatest. Let me tell you how you become the greatest. You become the servant of all. And so put yourself in the last place. That's how you know you can be trusted, right? Because Jesus has all authority, right? John 13, he's sitting there right before he washes his disciples' feet, and it's so telling. I think I even mentioned this in the book, maybe. I don't remember. Um, but John chapter 13, the, he's standing there, he's about to wash his disciples' feet. It's so telling what that first verse says. It says, Jesus, realizing that he had all authority in heaven and on earth. So Jesus, in this moment, in some ways, the, the author's trying to tell us, understands the nature of who he is. So we can probably make this something. Jesus, knowing that he is the Messiah, the chosen one, the Lord, the Christ, gets up from the table and says, all of you bow to me, you terrible people. I'm the king. No, he gets up from the table. He takes off his outer cloak, 
and he gets down and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. So, you know, that's the challenge to me. If I knew that I had all power, all authority, all influence in a situation, do I then make the decision to lord that over people, to use it to my advantage, to manipulate people, or do I use it to serve people? Yeah. And, that's, and I think that's what God knows on the heart level. God knows, hey, I can't put you in charge of everyone because what it's going to mean is you're the Lord, mm. not me, not Jesus. And so I think, and, that's, and that to me is actually kind of what's describing the brokenness of the book, right? That I, I feel more and more meaningless as I try and grow my kingdom higher and higher because that's the exact opposite to what I say my priority is, yeah. which is to make Jesus's name higher and higher. And I think a lot of times for leaders, they're saying, God, give me more influence. God, give me more influence. And Jesus is just whispering quietly, hey, if I gave you more influence, less people would be connected to God. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I think we focus too much on the size of our platform as opposed to the scope of our influence. So, so. What I mean by that is it feels like we spend a lot of our energy making much of ourselves at the expense of actually influencing people. So, so in other words, like let, let's say you, you build a platform uh, with a thousand people on it that, that, that you, you now have access to influence a thousand people. What are you going to do with that? Would you be actually make more of an impact with less of a platform, but a more impactful relationship with the people that you're influencing? I mean, I I find that uh, to be an interesting, an interesting thought for leaders, like something for us to think through. And I think you're right. I think that that picture of what Jesus did, uh, in washing his disciples' feet and what it means uh, for us is, is a powerful one. And I always think about, for some reason, even as you were you were walking through that story, I thought about Genesis 128, the creation mandate, where God says, you're going to subdue the earth. And, and I don't think we connect subduing the earth and service like we should. But if you want to know what like subduing the earth actually should have looked like, Adam— here it is. It, it looks like serving. And, uh, and so uh, just a, a powerful picture, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you hit on that in the book. I want to get to your uh, testimony a little bit, specifically some of the, the physical suffering that, that you've gone through. And you mentioned that in the book, and it's a big part of the book. Uh, but I want to ask you specifically, uh, you, you mentioned having cystic fibrosis. Um, specifically, how has those health challenges and, and kind of that area of brokenness in your life, how has that made you a different, better leader? Sure. So um, with cystic fibrosis, it's, uh, it's twofold, right? Because when I was younger, because I got diagnosed in nine months, um, my parents bared the bore the burden of that struggle. Um, and then as I got older, obviously I took over, uh, ownership of it and moved that forward. But actually one of the most telling things about cystic fibrosis for me is actually the narrative that was produced in my parents that now I experience as a parent, right? Uh, because, uh, my wife and I, we adopted, 
a son six years ago. And so uh, he was an infant. So we've gone through basically all the stages of life with him. And so uh, in that process, uh, it makes you appreciate um, what parents humanistically have to deal with in brokenness. You know what I mean? Because you just imagine, you know, Chad, I'm sure, because you've had lots of kids. And so uh, in regards to seeing like one of your babies born and then a doctor telling you, hey, you know, for lack of better, like not not trying to, there's something really wrong with this one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And we think, especially back then, it was 87, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit, but um, the, uh, the prognosis was probably about 10 years. So, you know, like you just imagine one of your kids, like, Hey, you're probably going to get 10 years. Mm. And the mindset you start to go through as a parent of maybe asking some of those questions that are in this book, which are like, why this ain't fair. Yeah. Look at all these other parents out here. They're not, they're not having to deal with this stuff. Their kid. I mean, like, God, how hard is it for just a kid to gain weight? You know I mean? Like just, just let them gain weight. I mean, like we're dealing with breathing issues. Why, like breathing something should be second nature. And, and you can fill in the blank with almost any level of, of suffering when it comes to something like this. But that was kind of – and so it just – it made me begin to appreciate that what happened is my mom and dad were relentlessly believing the promises of God, right? Because you have this child in promise. You have this child in hope. You dedicate them to the Lord um, like Samuel and you say, God, you do with this kid what you want to do in their hope, in their life. And really, you know, ultimately, that's the only level of control we got. You know, we're, we're saying, God, right. this is your kid. Please don't let me screw him up in the process. Yeah. Um, and so their level of relentless belief in hours upon hours of treatments, dollars upon dollars of doctor's appointments and new medications and insurance squabbles, because, hey, this is the 80s. And, you know, and mm-hmm. working through all of that process, but the, the, even though they may not have been able to articulate it to you, the, the driving narrative is this child has a future. God has given us a hope and a promise. And so we choose to suffer to see the future that God has in store. Mm. And so, you know, I'm sure at some level, even though in some ways I'm sure I'm a grand disappointment, the... Uh, the, the, the validation with God for them of having a son that loves them, respects them, loves God, and is trying to serve him with his heart, you know, albeit not perfectly, but hopefully uh, with integrity and wholeheartedly. Um, the, that's the payoff in their story of that level of suffering and brokenness. Now, that story also has its own arcs and, you know, branches in my life. And so, um, working through that with God and, and really in some ways it's more experiential because one thing is like, you know, with cystic fibrosis, you do these hour long treatments. Okay. So morning and night, hour long treatments. And so for much of my life, I spent on a couch somewhere wearing this big shaker vest thing. It's like, and it just shakes your chest and it takes the place of like physical therapy. Early on, I had to have my dad like hit me on the back for, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and it'd just be like cupped hands, smacking my back. And, uh, he had massive forearms at the time because of mm. doing that every single day <laughs> to, to keep my uh, chest clear. But then we got this vest 
that they use now. And so most cystic fibrosis patients use this vest that shakes them and uh, shakes up all the, the broken. So I talk about it in the book because I had, I had one break one time. But um, in that process, uh, I had a lot of time because especially early on, it was not very mobile or small. It was uh, built like a Panzer tank. And so um, I would sit and I would do my devotions. You know what I mean? I'd read the Bible and I'd pray. And so a lot of my early spiritual formation, I had hours upon hours upon hours of Bible studies and spiritual formations of practicing spiritual disciplines because in, in some ways, both a blessing, God made me sit before him. You know what I mean? I guess in some level of credibility, like I would, I had the, um, the priority to put him there instead of like watching hours upon hours of cartoons or something. But um, sometimes I did do that. Yeah, that's but, fine. You know, and so. You were born in the 80s. There were good sure. cartoons in the 90s. That was, there was some good stuff. Ninja Turtles. Oh. G.I. Joe's. Come, come on. Oh, yeah. Power Rangers, if you ever wanted to go live action. You could, you could do that on a, on a, on a weekday morning. Sure. Yeah, that, that was that was uh, that was good stuff. So, particularly, do you find it easier to lead people struggling with their brokenness just because of your story? That's an interesting question. Um, I you mean like, like do you find it easier to lead people in the seasons of brokenness that they find themselves yeah, in? Yeah. Um, I think I'm. I think. I am more aware of it, but right. I don't think it's any easier because I think each situation is when we treat it with the right kind of respect. Cause there've been times where I've been like, well, you know, I'm more broken than you. So like, what, what are you whining about? Right. Um, but in the sense of like each person's brokenness, I had a wise mentor say to me one time, um, if it matters to someone, it matters. Mm. And so, um, the, the level of patience, I think, a bring with wisdom to understand that just because something feels trivial and surface, it may actually shape another person. And you may just want to have pause to allow that experience to kind of wash over you before you make it snap judgment. Mm. Um, you know, I, I hope that, that some level has been developed. So I would, you know, I think each situation is unique in what is suffering and what is brokenness. But, um, and, I, and to be honest, if it's true suffering and brokenness, it's probably not easy in any of that kind of like respect yeah. um, because that, you know, that need and that hunger and that uh, desperation, I think sometimes is a part of, of that brokenness. So. Yeah. yeah. I thought about when, when I was reading the book, um, I thought about, you know, I think one of the, the, the things that young leaders struggle with the most, and I know I did. Uh, I was uh, a very young uh, lead pastor. I was 27 when I started that that journey, and the the massive element of my leadership in my in my character that I lacked at that point in time was empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just honestly, at that point in my life, I had not suffered a lot. Um. And I, I had not experienced a lot of loss. Uh, I, I tell I tell people um, there were two major things that changed my level of empathy or or gave me the gift of empathy and leadership and just generally in life. But it, it really comes to light, I think, when you lead others. Um, the two things that really changed me in that area was one um, 
the loss of unborn children uh, and the mourning of, of our brokenness in that with my wife, and then uh, which happened many times, and then uh, the birth of, of the children I have. Um, experiencing that, uh, experiencing incredible loss and experiencing um, the complexities of life and as you bring it into the world, uh, all of that just gave me a different perspective that created uh, a higher level of empathy in others. Now, I'm, I'm still not the most empathetic person in the world, but um, I think suffering and well, at least, doesn't harden us. I think it softens us to the suffering of others and the brokenness of others. And I think sure. it gives us that perspective. And I, and I thought about that a lot uh, reading the book, and, and I, I, was, I was greatly helped by that. Let's uh, let's kind of land here. I want to land kind of where uh, the book lands. Um, if I was describing this book to our listeners um, and encouraging you, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, uh, go buy it. Um, but if I was if I was going to kind of summarize the book, I think the book is a story. It's actually two stories in one book. Um, the first part of the book is is your story. Uh, and, and then the book lands on the gospel story and, and it, and it feels like it's a, it's a book with those two narratives that kind of merge in a lot of different ways. Um, and you spend a good, a good deal of time towards the end of the book, just landing really hard on the gospel. And when I say, uh, the gospel, uh, for our listeners, what I'm referring to is, the the narrative the the historical narrative of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. So so we're we're actually not talking about personal testimony uh, in this in this case. We're talking about historical testimony, a, a testimony to facts, to what actually happened, those events, Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, and then the implications of that. So so when we talk about gospel centric or gospel centered. Uh, when I say uh, just keep breathing is a gospel centered book. What I mean is it's a book that, that at its core is pointing you to that story. And, uh, so, so the book lands really hard on that. And I just want to just kind of end with, um, how has the gospel shaped how you lead out of your own brokenness? So how has the gospel story, I guess, another way of putting it, how's the gospel story helped as you lead out of your own story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, for me, the, the story of the good news of Jesus is um, wrapped up in what the, the, the final chapter, we explore that verse in Hebrews that has caused many a theologian a sleepless night, which is, it says that Jesus um, learned obedience through what he suffered. Yep. And uh, the connection there of Jesus's humanity to me is so key because of the culture and time that we live in. And, and the book is written. It's a, it's a fairly relevant culture. Like I had no clue, you know, in some ways I think it may have been a God thing that this book was You're a prophet. You're a prophet. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the whole, listen, the whole world just like, if I could tell anyone, just it's just keep breathing. Like, just, like that is a yeah. good word for where we are as a society. It, there's no question about it. And so, um, but in that, in that, in that word, um, in that, in that uh, season, there is, I think, especially 
in different areas of our country and in different areas of Christendom, there is this expectation that in order to experience the fullness of who God is, your life should have a certain trajectory and experience. And, and we'd say, what does that mean? Well, okay. If you really trust God, really trust God, you should never experience backbreaking suffering. You know what I mean? If you really trust God, um, then you should be able to say with conviction, oh, it was all a part of God's plan and never doubt that. You know what I mean? If it's, if you really trust God, there are these, there's this, you should be able to get your hair all did up and go to church and put on that big smile and no one should know that you're hurt. You know, it's like, take that passage in Psalms out of a, uh, out of context and just anoint your head with oil and, you know, and go and, and, and be there. Um, and the truth is all I can speak is as a spiritual leader and a, someone that studied the scriptures through and through and, and hopefully has some level of understanding between what the scriptures in real life kind of like maneuver. I, I don't feel that way a lot of the time, you know what I mean? In the sense of, yeah. um, there's inconsistency with that narrative. And it's the same way, I know I'm touching back on the book again, but like the same way with the inconsistencies that we have in the Nehemiah leadership narrative that we spend sometimes. And again, it's not that it's not true. It's just that the Nehemiah inspiring leadership narrative ends in chapter five. There's plenty of chapters of Nehemiah That's left. Yeah. You know, and so um, in that process, unpacking the disappointment and the heartache and the brokenness you're like, oh, okay, do I have to do that alone? Because if, if, if Christianity is this kind of like sterile, whitewashed, everybody's happy, um, and everybody's fulfilled, it seems like I'm the only one over here that's kind of struggling and broken and trying to put these cracks back together, even in the midst of a conversation of grace, even in the midst of a conversation of mercy, um, until, again, you really begin to unpack and see what the scriptures are saying versus what makes a really inspirational maybe talk on Sunday morning or an inspirational lesson. And sometimes uh, the beauty of the scriptures is the emotional depth and breadth of what they are is for the human experience, not just for inspiration or a cute little quote um, or a little quip to inspire us. And so Learning that Jesus, in the moment of suffering, provided for us the way out of suffering through a a fulfilling experience. So it's not like a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's this realization and relationship and communion with him that he, when it says he understands, he understands. That he suffered as I have suffered. And, and the beauty of that is, again, the promise kind of of the book and of God first is that it seems that in those moments of most acute suffering, God is doing something behind the scenes that is producing something all the more beautiful and hopeful that you haven't experienced yet. And so I talk about in the chapter, the Day of Atonement, that these people are out in the desert and they're saying, listen, it would have been better if we had stayed in Egypt. And I say, hey, slow down. Don't give these Israelites too hard a time because it probably was better in Egypt. It's good. Yeah. You know, and, and but what they don't realize is in this acute moment of suffering, God is saying, I'm your people, you're my people. 
I'm your God, and I'm going to cement this for you in the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. That you understand that none of you are getting away from me, and I ain't getting away from you, because this is the sacrifice that shows that I'm your God, you're my people. And same way with Jesus. You know, you have this moment of the death, on some level, the death of the Savior of the world, um, and his true suffering. You look around, you go, and there's literal darkness everywhere. And you say, how could anything good come from this? But it's this moment that God uses to redeem all humanity from their brokenness, their darkness, and ultimately, the scriptures tell us, like we kind of touched on the beginning of the book, that there's brokenness outside of us, but that same brokenness is within us. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, who heals the brokenness within and the brokenness without by his moment of suffering. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, uh, I would say, the way it's, it's built in the book, the gospel and suffering. Is and that that's what encourages me, is that personalization and realization that it's not a pretty picture, and so I don't have to try and make to be religious. I don't have to make my life try and look like a pretty picture, uh, because not even the Gospels or the Bible have asked for that. That is an outside expectation that culturally has seemed to be produced or brought forth in the last probably, I don't know, that, that a hundred years, let's say, you know what I mean? So the rise of evangelicalism. You're saying that life is, is more Twitter than Instagram. It's, I think, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, you know, in the sense of, I guess uh, it depends. it's, I think everybody can resonate with the sentiment. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on your podcast, but I think everybody can resonate with the sen- sentiment that life sucks sometimes. Yeah. You can say that. And so it does suck sometimes. Yeah. And so uh, the, the problem is, I think a lot of times in religious circles and we as leaders are guilty of it, we go, no, don't say that. You're so negative. You know right, what I mean? Like, right, and, we, right, right. And, and, right. and that has no place in the, in the conversation of, of God, you know, like I, I've, I've been doing more um, kind of like lit, liturgical prayers over the last few months in my quiet time. And, you know, the, the, I don't even remember how you say it, but the, 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 the call to light at the end of the day, the, the I think it's like the Phyllis, uh, I don't remember how you say it. David Crowder sang a song about it. I don't know the Latin name for it, but basically, um, you know, at the end of that prayer, it says, and it doesn't mean it was the same shallowness, but it says, Lord, you are always um, worthy of happy praises. Hmm. You know, and that, and that first, when I first read that, I was like, happy praises. Like, so you think I should put like a fake happy smile and praise God? Like, you know, like, yeah, you know, really glad I had a car wreck today and I got no idea what I'm going to pay for this vehicle. You know, thanks God. Um, but the realization that joy can come in the suffering because God is doing something unique is a very deep concept, but it's a very real concept that a lot of us are going to need. And so um, working that out, I think is important. And again, pushing back against the false narratives and the shallowness of saying, well, that doesn't have a place here, but that's too deep for people. I think it's a big deal. Yeah. So, that's where they sit. That's where they live. One of the things that I really, really uh, enjoyed about the book was its honesty 
And I think that that kind of transparency is really, really, really helpful uh, and a good model for us to think through as leaders. I think, I think leaders have to be transparent. I, I, I really, I really believe that to, to lead effectively. But one of the things that, that I took away and, 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 and how the book kind of pointed me to the gospel and I'll, I'll kind of wrap up here is that suffering does not equal lack of flourishing. So the, 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 the idea being, uh, I feel like human beings are just naturally Epicurean in that their, their goal in life, like the Epicurean philosophy, is to avoid all suffering at all cost. And the truth of the matter is, that's not the flourishing life. If that was the flourishing life, a life just devoid of suffering, then Christ is not our model for the flourishing life, obviously. Uh, uh, to be pitied most of all. No doubt. Uh, uh, this, is, this is a man who had nowhere to lay his head. Um, his suffering was not limited to the cross. His life was one of suffering in, in lots of different ways starting with his condescension from the glories of heaven um, into this world uh, that, that he came into. And so the idea that not only can you lead out of your suffering, you can flourish as you lead out of that brokenness and suffering, that that's actually a flourishing life and that that's a meaningful life and that that has a, an enormous effect on the people around you and those you lead. And that's the types of lives that as followers of Jesus, we should be putting on display for those that we lead. So with that said, Luke, plug some stuff, man. Plug some, uh, plug some uh, uh, Twitter handles, uh, uh, social media stuff. Go ahead and uh, give us, uh, where, where can we find more, uh, more Luke Hughes content? Yes, Um so uh, I'm on Instagram at PS, so for pastor, ps.luke.hughes. If you want to look me up on Instagram, I'd be happy to follow you back. Um, and then if you want to buy the book, it's on Amazon. So you can just go to Amazon and uh, search Just Keep Breathing, uh, you know, Luke Hughes, or Just Keep Breathing, Finding God's Best in the Brokenness. Um, it's up there in the search categories now, so I think you just find it with Just Keep Breathing. But um, so yeah, that's I mean, those are two great ways. It's on audiobook if you're not a reader. So it's me reading it. Nice. Uh, I was going to ask you that. Two and a half hours. <laughs> but uh, talk about, <laughs> talk about suffering. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. So anyway, good stuff, man. Well, we'll have a link to just keep breathing in the show notes, man. What a joy to have you on, man. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this conversation and uh, look forward to catching up again soon, man. Yeah, thanks, Jeff.